0: We're turning again tonight to the first chapter in the book of Revelation. God willing, we will get to the seven letters uh, to the seven churches in the new year. Uh, Our emphasis before we get to those letters is the corporate nature of Christianity. We don't just have an individual experience of the grace of Jesus Christ, but we are put amongst his people. And this comes out in... A few verses in chapter One, where John, or should I say, the Triune God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, using John as the penman, addresses this letter uh, to not just the seven churches, but to his people across the ages, even the church here and whatever church you're part of, if you're listening in. And even though the Trinity is mentioned as the ultimate author of this letter there's one person in the Trinity who's given the spotlights. Jesus Christ, the second person, the Son of God. And we looked at the doxology. You see, once John mentions Jesus Christ, he's, what did we sing in the first hymn? That word, he's transported. He's carried away. And he makes this statement of praise, which you call a doxology. And we looked at it last time. Verse 5 from Jesus Christ, Revelation 1.5, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the rulers of the kings of the earth. And he doesn't stop. He starts rising. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now we would have stopped there, wouldn't we? What more can you say? after such a wonderful statement of praise. But then John adds another doxology. Isn't that great? And he says, verse 7, which is what we're going to consider tonight, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. He doesn't stop praising the past work of Jesus Christ, uh, his dying on the cross to deliver us from the bondage of sin. Nor does he stop with his present work interceding for us in heaven. But he goes on to look for the future second coming of Jesus Christ. Here is a man. Yes, he's not got long left. He's in his late 80s, he's in exile, but actually he's going to get out of exile and go back to his church in Ephesus. It's the Roman Emperor Domitian who's going to be executed, or assassinated, I should say. But John hasn't got long, but he's looking forward to the second Advent. Last Sunday was Advent Sunday, where we begin preparing for the first coming. Advent means coming. The first coming of Jesus Christ, the message of Christmas. If we were in the Anglican Church, we would also be talking about the second advent of Jesus Christ. You can't really talk about Christmas without talking about the second coming. And I just want us uh, this evening uh, to catch something of John's anticipation, if I can use that word even excitement. About the fact that Jesus Christ is going to return, do, do we have that same sense? Uh, he's also going to be uh, referring to two prophecies. We had a reading from Daniel, uh, Daniel seven thirteen, about the Son of Man coming on the clouds, and then Zechariah twelve ten about uh, those uh, who have pierced Him, mourning. So we'll make reference to those. Uh, prophecies as well I've just got five reasons don't worry they're not long five reasons to give you uh, why the second coming is so glorious a theme why John is just looking forward to it you know Uh, the first reason is this he writes as if it's a fact Uh, look at verse 7 he is coming he's not trying to prove it Uh, He's not trying uh, to persuade his readers that, uh, yes, if such and such signs are fulfilled, he will come back. He is. Now, I don't know about you, but I like that. Just as we can be certain of the fulfilment of prophecies regarding the first coming of Christ, didn't it look impossible at the time, 2,000 years ago, under Roman domination? how was the messiah ever going to come now of all times the children of israel were in bondage to another power how it required a miracle for those prophecies to be fulfilled and what happened they came to pass didn't they what did the angel gabriel say to mary when she said, this can't happen. It's impossible for a virgin to conceive. It's impossible for uh, God uh, to become a man. It's impossible, given the political situation we are in. What did the angel say? No, it's not. It's impossible for you and for me. Impossible to man, but not to God. If the first coming, an impossibility was fulfilled then we can be absolutely certain that the prophecies concerning the second coming will be brought to pass as well Uh, Spurgeon he put it well Spurgeon you know preached on the second coming all the time Uh, he was a bit different to us reformed evangelicals today and he put it in his Spurgeonic way if we believe that the Lord Jesus has come the first time, we believe also that He will come the second time. But are those equally assured truths to us? Brethren," he says, no truth ought to be more frequently proclaimed next to the first coming of the Lord than His second coming." Think about it for a moment. 2021 is ahead of us. We can't be certain of anything, can we, in the future? Um, Somebody said uh, death and taxes are the only two certainties in life. Well, let's forget about taxes. We can be certain of death. We know that at some point in the future, we're all going uh, to face uh, the last enemy. But there's something else as well, which we could add. The second coming, death... And the second coming are the only two events that are absolutely certain. Now, just common sense states if those are the only two certainties, we're stupid not to live in the light of them, aren't we? The second coming of Jesus Christ. And it's not something to dread. If we are his, surely it's something to long for. It's our lover returning jesu lover of my soul think of two lovers separated for a time uh, don't they long to be together again yes they write letters to one another or maybe emails or texts today but they long to be together we have this letter the word of god yes he is with us by his spirit but don't you long to see him face to face even if we yearn for revival which is jesus coming in great power by his spirit i say we should long even more for his coming again in the flesh i don't think we have that emphasis do we we rightly have an emphasis on revival but we should have an even greater emphasis on his second coming don't you look forward to it we don't know if there's going to be another revival in wales but my friends we know for certain that Jesus is going to come again and that's good isn't it we can rejoice in that tonight so that's the first reason it's certain you 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 can be absolutely assured of this as a fact the second reason why john is so uh overwhelmed by it is it's glorious a look at the verse again He's coming with clouds. Notice the words, not on the clouds, but with the clouds, surrounded by the clouds. This is going to be the most awesome event that the whole universe has ever, ever seen. Now, do you use the word awesome to describe everyday things? I had an awesome lunch. It was duck à la orange. It, it was delicious. But... We use the word awesome to describe something like that. Now, it's not awesome compared to the second coming. It's awesome. The clouds, uh, the references to Daniel 7 verse 13. Uh, then to him was given dominion, the son of man, and glory, and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom is one which shall not be destroyed and this son of man coming on the clouds psalm 104 verse 3 says he makes the clouds his chariots oh what a savior The cloud in the Old Testament stood for what? The Shekinah cloud, the glory of the Lord, filling the temple, just a local thing. But now he's going to come in glory and it's going to be the most awesome event ever. When there's a revival, Christ visits by his spirit. There's a weight of glory, a weight of glory. You're aware of eternal things you're aware of your sin you're aware of the fact that you're a creature and there's a creator this is going to be much much greater in the vision in daniel did you understand it he was given a vision of four beasts and if you read other parts of daniel and a good commentary you will realize that each beast represents a different superpower So the first beast was Babylon, the superpower that took Israel into captivity. The next beast was the superpower that overcame Babylon, the Persians, from which our Iranians uh, came from. And then the next beast, which superseded Persia, was Alexander the Great. And then the next beast that came, do you know what it is? The mighty Roman Empire. And it was under the Romans that John found himself on Patmos in exile. And I'm sure the people he was writing to felt completely overwhelmed by the Roman Empire. The world hadn't seen a beast like this up till then. They were locked in. And Daniel and John quoting Daniel says, don't be afraid. There's somebody coming. The Ancient of Days, first of all. The throne that the Ancient of Days are sitting upon is above every other throne. All these kingdoms are beneath the kingdom of our God. And then the Son of Man will come and he will rule. The Ancient of Days will give him authority to rule over all these kingdoms. And he will establish a kingdom himself, which is the church. And this kingdom shall not be superseded. Praise God. We belong to a kingdom that can never be conquered. That will last forever and ever. Take that, Domitian Roman Emperor. Where are the glories of Rome now? They're in ruins. Whatever superpower we will see in the next decades, probably China however much she will try to persecute the church, Christ's kingdom will endure from age to age. And we are citizens of that kingdom. Doesn't it make you excited? And one day, he will come back in his time on the clouds. It'll be glory for me, glory for you. Will it? If you are his, it will definitely be i just got a quotation here I don't know why I write these things down But they are helpful We look To the future horizon To see the first Consummation The final consummation Of all our hopes In Christ D- Did you uh, remember one day last week it, it was raining Wasn't it all day and then towards the afternoon looking to the horizon looking west you could see clouds clouds that's wales view more rain but then if you're a keen geographer you can see beyond the clouds you can just see a line of lights and even though there are clouds still on the horizon and more rain to come Eventually, that brightness on the horizon is no longer a line. It becomes bigger. And towards the end of this day, we were in sunshine. A bright horizon. My friends, these poor people that John was writing to could only see dark clouds on the horizon. Things were bad for them when John was writing. Things were going to get far worse for them. But John is saying, look... Beyond that, there is a bright horizon and it is Jesus Christ coming back for his people. Uh, uh, The Christians had to face martyrdom and they did not flinch because they knew that the best was yet to come. Glory. Do you think of the second coming as the most awesome and glorious event that will ever happen? ever take place the hope (laughs) it's dark now but all will be bright at last another reason it's public it's public every eye will see him now that means physical there are some Christians who say that Jesus' second coming will only be spiritual that that's nonsense it will be physical he will come in his body the man Christ Jesus who's now in heaven interceding for us ruling over uh, calling people to himself by his spirit he will actually come back physically physically Uh, our confession of faith says, we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ will return personally, visibly and gloriously to the earth to receive his saints to himself and to be seen of all men. Every eye shall see him. And like the first advent, who saw him when he first came? Uh, The shepherds. Uh, mary and joseph obviously the wise men maybe a few others it it was more private wasn't it very few people actually saw his first coming but the second coming will be the exact opposite it will be the most public event ever everybody will see him Uh, he puts it in Matthew Matthew chapter 24 that's the chapter where he gives the most details about his second coming I know we looked at it in Mark but in Matthew you will have even more details and he uses this illustration for as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west so also will the coming of the son of man be then the sign of the son of man will appear in heaven and then all of the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory John is echoing some of those words the morning the son of man coming on the clouds and Jesus says it'll come suddenly just like lightning you you blink and you've missed it but think of the lightning coming from the east to the west the day begins in the east and it ends in the west doesn't it that's how we think of time and it'll be like that with the second coming of Jesus Christ people will see him at the same time and it'll be from the east to the west, like lightning. I can't explain it just as much as I can't explain the incarnation. I know it will be a miracle. But what I do know is that in a moment, every eye will see him. It won't be by Zoom that people will see him. It says every physical eye will see him physically. We won't need tablets or smartphones to be able to see him. I believe that every person alive on earth at That moment, every person who's been alive and is dead will be raised from the grave and every human being ever created will witness at the same time with their own eyes the person of Jesus Christ. Wow. You won't be able to mute him you won't be able to escape his gaze. I mentioned Handel's Messiah this morning. Don't you love that oratorio? The most famous chorus in it is the Hallelujah Chorus, where we all get on our feet. Apparently, Handel, when he was composing that part of the Messiah, he was so overwhelmed that he came out of the room in tears. Do you know what the Hallelujah Chorus is about? I'll read it. It's a quotation uh, from the Bible. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. The kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. King of kings and Lord of lords. It's the second coming. It's about Christ conquering the kingdoms of this world. And it's not about salvation. Yes, it's about our redemption actually being completed. Those who have been saved finally being delivered completely. But it's also about judgment. That Christ vindicating his truth, his people. Uh, If you can't cope with handle What about Wesley and Cynic? Lo, he comes. With clouds descending. Do you you want him to come back? If it's such an awesome event, if you miss his presence, don't you want to see him physically? Once for favoured sinners slain. You, he died for you. Thousand, thousand saints attending. Swell the triumphs of his train. Hallelujah. There's that word again. God appears on earth to reign. Don't you want to see King Jesus given the acclamation he deserves? Don't you? Another reason. This is the fourth, if you're counting. We're nearly there. He's coming to judge. Unlike the first coming, which was to save, it was private, not public, until the death of the cross, when his hour had come, that's when it was public. The second coming will be completely public, and it won't be as saviour, it'll be as judge. Now that should frighten us. Even as Christians, it should fill us with holy awe. Look at how John puts it. He quotes here, not um, the prophecy from Daniel, but the prophecy from Zechariah. "Every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him." Uh, do you remember that prophecy in Zechariah, 12:10? I think I preached on Zechariah a few months ago. The prophecy initially was written about Jesus on the cross being pierced and those who had pierced him sinners looking to him and that causing them to mourn for their sin and to turn to him in repentance and faith that's what Zechariah meant but John is quoting Zechariah here to mean not the mourning that produces repentance but the mourning that comes from remorse Those who pierced him here are not those who see that their sin has been laid on Jesus Christ. And because of that, even though they are sorry for their sin, they are rejoicing because he has saved them from sin. Here, these people have rejected him, pierced him. And there's no more hope for them. They've had their opportunity. And do you know what? Two words which scare me. It's too Late. Too late. The door of hope has been shut forever. A few years ago I climbed a mountain up in Torridon, the Scottish Island, called Ben Egg. It was a real challenge. And I got down late in the day and I found at the foot of the mountain the Ben Egg Cafe. The cafe was named after the mountain. And you know what? I thought now I'd conquered Ben Egg. I deserved to go into the Ben Egg cafe and maybe have a Ben Egg meal or something. I don't know if it consisted of egg. <laughs> but I was too late. I arrived just after they'd closed the doors too late the doors are still open it's still a day of grace one day it'll be too late uh, this is serious think of loved ones who may have one time been here in church may be responding to the gospel and now they've gone And it's still the day of grace for them. They can still come back, come back to Christ on that day too late. Maybe you've come to church Sunday after Sunday, even in lockdown. And even though you know the gospel in your head, you just let it run over you. You know in your heart that you haven't responded to Jesus Christ. You know in your heart that you haven't accepted him as your Lord and Saviour. And there's still an opportunity for you to do that. But one day, too late. Too late. Doesn't this make preaching the gospel urgent? You know, I I can't put on urgency. I can't. What I can do is read again Spurgeon, who, during a sermon on this, had urgency come over him, just so that we can understand something of this. I felt unfit to preach to you tonight, he said. And then he goes on. I'm often ill. Who knows how soon I shall come to my end? i would use all that remains to me of physical strength and providential opportunity we never know how soon we may be cut off and then we are gone forever from the opportunity of benefiting our fellow men so would i earnestly plead with you under the shadow of this great truth i would urge you to make ready since we shall both behold the lord in the day of his appearing Yes, I shall stand in that great throng. You also will be there. How will you feel? You are not accustomed perhaps to attend a place of worship, but you will be there. You may be absent from the assemblies of the saints, but you will not be able to absent yourself from the gathering of that day. You will be there, one in that great multitude, and you will see Jesus the Lord as truly as if you were the only person before him. Oh, my friend, don't let him... Come as judge without first you having accepted him as your saviour. Now listen to the hymn I quoted from again, Wesleyan Scenic. Every eye shall now behold him, robe in awesome majesty. Those who set at nought and sold him, pierced and nailed him to the tree, deeply wailing shall the true Messiah see. Caiaphas, he, he will have to stand in judgment. Pontius Pilate, Judas Iscariot, every island, sea and mountain, heaven and earth shall flee away. All who hate him must confound it. How the trump proclaims the day, come to judgment, come to judgment, come away. Uh, One commentator put it like this. Either you are standing on verses five and six to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Or you're going to stand on the second half of verse 7. All the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. My friend, if you're standing in verses 5 and 6, if Jesus' blood has washed you, then you can look forward to that day. Bold shall you stand. Because Jesus has taken the sin and the punishment for your sin. But if he isn't your savior, I'm frightened for you because you will have no hope then. It'll be too late. I know it's a teaching service, the evening service, but are we ready? Are we ready? And then one last thing, and I want to end on this. How does the verse begin? Behold, look, how does the verse end? Not just amen, but a double amen. Amen means so be it, even so. What does John say? Even so, even so. (laughs) He's so looking forward, right? He's anticipating it. I think the Christians of the first century got it wrong. Well, they did get it wrong. They really believed that Jesus Christ was going to come back in their own day, in their own lifetime. Most of them believed in that. You get that from much of uh, the instruction that you have in the epistles. Paul and others were writing to Christians who really thought their return was imminent. Now, they were wrong in their heads, but surely they were dead right in their hearts, weren't they? And haven't we got it the other way around so often? We are right in our heads, but our hearts, our hearts are unaffected by these things uh christians in moldova which we've had the privilege of getting to know oh how much they talk about the second coming how much they long if you've had a difficult time you are going to long more for the end of this fever of a life and for the coming of jesus christ and for the going home behold where are we looking this evening I'm finding the evangelical church in the West at the moment obsessed with looking at one another, you know? Aren't aren't we doing that? We've been looking at one another for too long. We're always comparing ourselves to one another. We're always criticizing one another. We're always commenting on one another. My friend, get a spiritual life. Behold Jesus Christ let's be done with this horizontal beholding and let's look up look up that's where our hope is look to jesus and then uh, aren't we too settled in this world Uh, tozer puts it brilliantly the streets of gold heaven do not have too great an appeal for those who find it easy to pile up gold and silver in this world Do we get dazzled by the treasures of this world? Oh, to be so dazzled with the glory of Christ that we will live life in this world in a daze, yeah? Do you know what the Welsh word for longing is? Do you you know what it says in Welsh? Heeraith. Heeraith. Do you have a heeraith? For your heavenly home, do you have a hereith for the return of your Saviour? Uh, we, we've been saved. Our salvation was two thousand years ago. We are being saved. He's working in us, making us conformable by His Spirit to the image of the Son. We're going to be saved perfectly, completely, and that won't happen until the second coming. You know, we're still in the body, even though our souls have been saved. We're still in this clod, aren't we? Isn't it a clod? It gets you down spiritually, drags you down. When he returns, you'll have a new body. A body that won't drag you down spiritually, but that will serve you spiritually. Even though our souls have been saved, our our souls are... Well, we're still in, not just in the flesh physically, but we've still got indwelling sin but one day we will have not just a perfect body, but a perfect soul. And then even if we had a perfect body and a perfect soul, we live in an imperfect world. And there's enough grief in this world to drive us to despair. But on that day, we will live in a new heaven and a new earth. And there'll be no sin, no separations, no tears. Don't you want that? and it's nearer now than when we first believed can't you catch the excitement here of John if we uh, had uh, seen him on Patmos we wouldn't have seen we would have seen an elderly man we would have seen somebody bruised and battered but we wouldn't have seen somebody disappointed we wouldn't have seen somebody about to give up we would have seen somebody who in his soul was alive More alive than ever before. So alive that his body was just like a tent about to be discarded. This is what I love about Christianity. It's about spiritual life. And the nearer we're getting to our home, the more alive we can be spiritually, even when our outward man is beginning to decline. Well, I've got to come to a conclusion uh, Howell is uh, getting ready to help with the communion. What is the communion about? We're remembering what Jesus did. We are communing with him now. And what else is there in the communion? Until he comes, we're looking forward to his second coming. Do you know what one of the watchwords was in the New Testament? Maranatha. Do you know what Maranatha means? Come, come. Lord Jesus. I finished with an Afro-American this morning. Why not finish with an Afro-American this evening? Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to sing it. It's probably a bit on the lively side. But this uh, song catches the same anticipation as John had of the second coming. Think of these people, many of them at the time were slaves... And yet they were happy, weren't they? Happy slaves. Why? They were looking forward. Listen, all of you people, come and take a few lessons from me. Do you know it? Get yourselves prepared for Judgment Day. Hallelujah. When you hear the trumpet blast, then you know you're home at last. Open up them pearly gates for me. That's good, isn't it? All you gambling sinners, now's time to start believing. You're going to meet your Maker some sweet day. Hallelujah. When you hear the trumpets clear, going to say goodbye to fear. Going to say goodbye to fear. Open up them pearly gates for me. Are you going to be there when Jesus returns? looking forward because he's coming to take you home or are you going to be there full of dread because you still are in your sin and he wasn't your saviour come Lord Jesus we don't know if by the next time we meet he may come for his namesake sake.